This episode of the Fucking Marks Podcast is brought to you by the refreshing taste of Colt 45. Works every time. And like Billy D says, if the 40 don't get you, the 5 will. Bada bing, bada boom. Alright, you fucking Marks. This is the Fucking Marks Podcast. And I am Bobby the Brainless, and I'm a certified G and a bona fide stud, and you can't teach that. And joining me in our podcast as usual, this is Big J, and he's six feet tall, and you can't teach that. Bada boom, realest guys on the podcast, how you doing? How you doing? Welcome everybody to another rendition of the Fucking Marks Podcast. I'm your host, one of your hosts, Ja Rule. And I also am the other co-host of this show, Bobby the Brainless. Alright, so uh, this week in WWE was huge. They had uh, Battleground on Sunday and then they started officially started the new era with the brand split on Monday and Tuesday with Raw and SmackDown Live, uh, respectively, and I, I have to give WWE an A. I thought both shows did very well. Uh, ratings, I heard, were, were rather high for the two shows this week, which is a good sign for the WWE. Uh, so, Jay, is there anything that uh, really stuck out from you for this week between either maybe the Battleground pay-per-view or one of the two shows during the week? Well, I mean, I want to start with Battleground because Battleground ended up, you know, kind of leading into everything that happened, you know, on Raw and SmackDown because you had a couple of cross-promotional matches. But, you know, with Battleground, uh, you know, you always have the pre-show match, and I was actually surprised at the outcome of that Uh I mean, Brizongo is like one of the worst kind of put the conjured together teams ever. I mean, I guess they took two guys who weren't really doing much, and now all of a sudden they're like, going, well, we might as well make them a team because we don't have anything for them. And I was surprised as heck that they went over on the Usos. I agree with you on that. I was really surprised by Brizongo getting that victory over the Usos at Battleground. I'm happy for them, though. Oh, me too. I'm extremely happy for they them. They work hard. They and they, they put in their time for a bit now. It, they deserve to have a shot at doing something, because they... I mean, poor Tyler Breeze, who is so over on NXT, has been given the crap end of the stick for so long. And to add on to that, you got to look at Vaughn. Don Go, a man who in his debut in the WWE beat future Hall of Famer in the first, first undis- ballot, first ballot Hall of Famer Chris Jericho and the first undisputed champion in WWE history, Chris Jericho at WrestleMania 29. And after that victory that he had against Jericho, he's kind of like fallen off the map a little bit. I think this is a good thing for him, and I think it's a good thing for Tyler Breeze that they put the two of them together, and this tag team is working, and the fans are getting behind them a little bit. They're both very talented in-ring performers. I was glad to see them get that victory against the Usos on Sunday. I was just surprised because, I mean, they've been jobbed out so many times. They finally got a chance to shine, and, you know, it it wasn't like a 
uh, finished. It, it was a legit win. It was like kind of came out of nowhere, and I, I enjoyed that. The thing about WWE this week for me personally was some of the like little surprises that we had, and that was like the one that started it all. So I like that. Uh, but uh, going further into the card, you know, you had the. Uh, Sasha with the mystery partner and Charlotte with uh, Dana Brooke. And I mentioned last week on the podcast that we might see Bailey from NXT a little bit sooner than we thought. And lo and behold, what did she do? She shows up Sunday on the pay-per-view and the crowd went ballistic. I mean, probably the loudest chance I've heard since like Daniel Bryan right before WrestleMania 30. It was... It was incredible, and you could tell how happy Bailey was to have that moment. But looking at Sasha Banks, you could see how happy she was for her friend having her moment. And that goes back to when Sasha was back in NXT, and her and Bailey and Becky Lynch and Charlotte were the four horsewomen of professional wrestling. And you have to think, even Charlotte, even if she didn't show it, Charlotte had to be happy for Bailey as well. They put on a very good match, uh, the tag team match, and I was very happy to see that Sasha and Bailey did go over on Charlotte and Dana Brooke. Um, I could get into it about my opinions on Dana Brooke, but we don't have the time for it in this podcast. Well, so. I mean, she kind of she had to step up her game a little bit earlier than I think WWE had planned because of Emma getting hurt. I think the plan was to slowly like introduce her, and they like brought her up to the main roster, had a plan for her. When Emma got hurt, that plan kind of went into the shitter. And they had to put her with somebody because you don't bring her up, you know, for one week and then send her back down. So, unfortunately, she got thrown in the deep end, and, you know, they're seeing if she could swim. I think she has worked pretty well so far outside of a couple of botches here and there that she's had. She's worked pretty well overall with Charlotte, and it's good that she's with Charlotte and not, like, a main character yet. I think she works well as being a a, a player. I agree with that. And if they were going to stick her with somebody, it's a good thing that she got set up with Charlotte because, obviously, with Charlotte being the daughter of the 16-time world champion, the limousine-riding, jet-flying, kiss-stealing, Wheeling, dealing, son of a gun himself. Woo! The pride of the state of North Carolina, Ric Flair. I think it's a good combination. I think she's going to learn a lot from Charlotte, considering that Charlotte does have a lot of experience in professional wrestling, even before her time with the WWE. I mean, she hasn't been wrestling wrong, but, I mean, it is in her DNA. She's lived the professional wrestling life, having her father be a professional wrestler her whole life, taking her to events. She knows how it goes. Right. Uh, Something I would like to bring up from the Battleground pay-per-view was how awesome the Sami Zayn-Kevin Owens match from Battleground was. Well, I mean, that might be match of the year. That match was off the charts. The fact that they got a standing ovation in the middle of the damn match, I mean, that tells you all you need to know. They brought their A game, and anybody that followed that, Good luck to you, because that match was awesome. And it goes back to those two being best friends for such a long time. They were in the independent circuit together. They were in NXT together. 
And the fact that they've known each other for as long as they have and have fought against each other for as long as they had, you knew what you were going to expect from them inside the ring as competitors. Uh, personally, I'm a huge fan of Kevin Owens. I've been a fan of his since he debuted in NXT. I know a little bit about him when he was Kevin Steen fighting in Ring of Honor before he got to the WWE. Sami Zayn, on the other hand, didn't really know too much about him until he, he started establishing himself. Well, I mean, NXT. he was El Generico, and he was under a mask, and right. nobody knew what he really looked like. Uh, but the story that those two guys told in the ring, I mean, the fact that like Zayn gave him the haluva kick, and, you know, that's how he finishes everybody off. But he, like, looked at Owens. Like, the look in his eye, you could just tell he's like, you know what, I could finish him off here, but you know what, he has messed with me for so long, I'm going to kick him in the head one more time, because you know what, he fucking deserves it. Right. And I have to admit, Sami Zayn is one of those guys that in such a short period of time that I've been following him, he's really won me over as a fan. And you brought up that they had the chance to be the match of the year. There has been other discussions and past matches this year that people have said that Sami Zayn is in the picture for match of the year for other matches. Well, the Nakamura match that he had uh, in Houston, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Dallas, uh, during WrestleMania weekend for uh, NXT, that th that match was off the charts. It's, but to say that with Nakamura, that's that's like saying that the sky is blue every day. You know, Nakamura is one of those guys in NXT. He's a very talented in-ring performer. Uh, I think he's had a lot of really good matches. I would have loved to have seen Nakamura fight Chris Jericho in Japan. I think that match would have been off the roof. I, I can't wait to see him against AJ Styles in WWE ring on the WWE scale. Like, in Japan, they've had, they had big matches in Tokyo, in front of 40,000 people, I think in a few years we might see that as a WrestleMania match, you know, in front of 70,000, 80,000 people. Right. I agree with that as well. Uh, speaking of AJ Styles, uh, what did you think about the Bullet Club versus Cena, Enzo, and Big Cass from Battleground? I have, I have many, many thoughts about this match. Uh, the match was, for me, entertaining as all hell. Uh... I hated that John Cena uh, pinned AJ Styles. I'm hoping this isn't a sign of things to come where uh, John Cena has taken the golden shovel out and is about to bury another guy who seems like he's on the ascent. I don't think it's going to happen this time. I hope it's not going to happen this time. Maybe he will. But to me, my favorite part of this whole match was before the match even happened. Enzo Amore gave me my markout moment of the week when he said <laughs> that if you never look another man in the face while he's eating a banana. <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm like, yeah, you, you, you know what? You don't. It feels a little weird. Is he thinking about what? Me? No? What? Isn't that during the same time that he asked AJ Styles about his soccer mom hairdo that he had? He may have. 
But, like, even John Cena, after Enzo said that, he's like, I can't follow that. When you got the face of the company saying, I can't follow that, and you could see him visibly laughing in the ring, you know that you've got it. Enzo has it in spades. I hope that the fact that he's not a huge guy doesn't hold him down, but I think he keeps doing something like that. They're they're going to find... You'll find him in main events, and you're going to find him in high-profile areas in the future. I agree with that. Enzo Amore is definitely a very talented in-ring performer. He's a very talented microphone performer, I guess is the best way to put that. Oh, he he's top-notch on the mic. Top-notch. He, he's, he's one of those like once-in-a-lifetime guys where he could just... He just goes with whatever he says, and it people just eat up whatever he says. I would love, not that this will ever happen, Enzo and CM Punk having a little bit of a sparring session. Or this could happen, Enzo and Chris Jericho, or Enzo and The Rock. Those would be a lot of fun. i also like to bring up from that match, I thought it was a very entertaining match as well, Luke Gallows, of all the people in the match, really kind of like stuck out for me personally just because I remember him back, you know, six, eight, ten years ago, whatever many years ago, when he was teaming up with Jesse and he was known as Festus and they would ring the bell and he would... (laughs) And then he would just start beating the crap out of people. He's really evolved as a character. He's kind of gone from being Festus, the biscuit head that he is to being Luke Gallows, one of the premier guys in a tag team that's in the tops of the tag team division. I really like Luke Gallows. I know that I've heard things that he's one of those guys in the backstage area that a lot of people love and respect because of the fact that he's such an easygoing guy, and a lot of people like him because of that. Because with him being the way he is, there's not a lot of people backstage, quote-unquote, walking on eggshells. I think that him and Carl Anderson were a tremendous addition to the WWE roster. I think that they are future WWE Tag Team Champions. Without a doubt. And the sky is the limit for for Mr. Gallows. I think that he's got a lot of potential to be somebody special in the WWE. Well, uh, on and speaking specifically of the match they had and the ending that they had with that match, my biggest problem with the match they that happened was there was a point where I mean you didn't know who the heck the legal man was in the match but I I want to say that there was a good solid two or three minutes where the two legal men in the match were not in the wrestling ring nobody was counted out uh, it the referee it didn't look confused he just kind of let it go again it was entertaining but I didn't like the fact that it was like you kind of threw the rules out the window. I realize it's entertainment. I was entertained, but my suspension of disbelief was kind of thrown off a little bit by the fact that all of a sudden, like, the rules didn't apply. They got thrown out the window. They got thrown out the window, so uh, that kind of took me out of it a little bit. Even though it was entertaining, I wish they had just kind of... All the, like, 
silly stuff they had going on. I wish they would have done it within the confines of, like, all right, this guy could be countered out, this guy could be countered out. It didn't happen, but... It's kind of funny that you bring that up, because I've always thought of WWE referees and officials as Major League Baseball umpires, where you have the one umpire who has a consistent strike zone, and then you got the one umpire who couldn't tell his elbow from his asshole about strike zones, and it goes back to a different match that occurred during the card, and that was the Intercontinental title match between The Miz and Darren Young, and how the referee kind of called for the bell when Darren Young put the cross-faced chicken wing on The Miz outside of the ring. You know, there wasn't even like a count-out. He might have even gotten to like three or four in the count-out, and as soon as Darren Young put the chicken wing on The Miz, he called for the bell and just declared it a no contest. Uh, according to WWE.com, they called the match a double disqualification. I, I don't get that at all. How How is anybody disqualified? It could have been a double countout, but, like, what was the disqualification for? They never mentioned anything like that. That's the thing that upsets me sometimes wa- watching these matches. You know, this is supposed to be a title match. This is supposed to be, you know, quote-unquote serious stuff. And it was just, like, anytime I I get to see Bob Backlund on TV and, and it being crazy Bob Backlund, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, you have to have at least some set of guidelines, some set of guidelines to frame the match around. And I'm glad that you brought up Bob Backlund because I do agree with you on that. I would love, I love seeing Bob Backlund. Uh, originally, I'm from Connecticut. I recently moved down to Virginia because I just got tired of snow and the cold and paying all for that crap. All that crap. Thanks, Dan Malloy. Thank you, Dan Malloy. And Bob Backlund is a very well-known person around the state of Connecticut. He ran for political office. Um, he's been seen all, all over the place. Anytime there's a Raw or a SmackDown in the area of Connecticut, Bob Backlund, all the times I've been to those shows, he is one of the guys around the concourse where you could get a photo with, and always very personable, always like an interesting dude. He's got the bow tie with the suspenders, which I I, I laugh every time I see him. And I actually have a funny Bob Backlund story, but not really like a funny story. But I have a very interesting Bob like Backlund story. Like funny, ha ha, or like it's a just clown. Like a, it's like a or? very yeah, like a clown. Do I make you laugh? Huh? I'm what? Like fucking funny. Are you humorous? Yeah. So, a few years ago, what? I'd say about like ten, ten, fifteen years ago. So Backlund's got to be in like his early to mid fifties when this happened. Uh, one of my uncles said that he went to the gym one day, and he saw Bob Backlund in there. And all Bob Backlund did was he grabbed one of those benches that the guys use to do, like, the uh, the bench press. And my uncle said that all Bob Backlund did was take one step up over the bench and went on to the other side. And he just did that and then did it backwards. And my uncle went in there, did his hour and a half or two hour workout. And he said right before he left, he went over to where Backlund was working out. And Backlund was in the same spot doing the same workout he'd been doing since my uncle walked in, and he's like, all you saw was a puddle of sweat. And he was just sitting there just doing what he did. And that just tells me, like, even that his age and the fact that he really wasn't into wrestling as an in-ring competitor anymore, that he really did care about his health. And 
how he took care of his body. And he's insane. Oh, of course he's insane. I still remember being at WrestleMania 11 at the uh, the old Hartford Civic Center. The mall. 21 years ago. I'm really dating myself. And Bob Backlund took on Bret Hart. And what really stuck out for me is that that was back when Bob Backlund lost his mind and he was putting random people in the chicken wing. And I still remember when he put Classy Freddie Blassie in the chicken wing, which I thought was just like the most horrific thing I've seen other than The Undertaker shoving the Ultimate Warrior in a casket in the funeral parlor. And him fighting Bret Hart and Bret Hart winning the match because it was the cross-face chicken wing versus the sharpshooter. Although a lot of people say it was one of the worst WrestleManias, if not the absolute worst WrestleMania, thanks Kevin Nash, but the fact that I got to see Bob Backlund perform inside the ring, Backlund just is one of those guys that I just like, I have to respect him just because he's been doing it for so long, and how many guys can say that who used to wrestle back in the 70s and the early 80s that never really had a chance to perform at WrestleMania finally get a chance to perform at WrestleMania, kind of like how Jerry Lawler fought Michael Cole at WrestleMania a few years back. Yeah, I mean, that was a crap match, but at least Lawler, after all the years in the company and all the years that he has been a professional wrestler, finally got a moment to like be in front of that large of a crowd. So that that was awesome for Lawler. But uh, uh, talking of crazy... Uh, what about the, the the Wyatt against the New Day match? This was another one of the surprises from this week for me, was the Wyatt family, who are now officially broken up, beat the New Day in a six-man tag match. I did not see that coming. Uh, I don't understand the booking on that, but uh, here we are, you know, a week after Battleground, and... New Day lost, and they lost to the Wyatt Family. Wyatt Family are not getting a tag team championship match. Uh, Wyatt Family no longer exists, so I, I, I'm I'm baffled by the decision, but it was interesting. I would say one thing about the Wyatt Family beating the New Day the way they did at Battleground, if they actually use this as a way to help put... Bray Wyatt up in the main event picture. Granted, he was in the six-pack challenge to determine who the number one contender for Dean Ambrose's world heavyweight title at SummerSlam, which we will touch base on later. If they do it that way, yeah. I don't know what they're going to do with Eric Rowan. I really don't. Uh, I I think he's going to be future-endeavored in the next couple of years. I think he's going to be a job guy. He's a big guy, and you look at him, and he looks impressive. I I think he really tries hard. I mean, he's six foot eight. He's three hundred pounds, and you can't teach that. And the guy in the ring, like again, he has a lot of fire in the ring, but his in in ring ability is not that great. I think it's interesting about the the new day losing to the Wyatt family at Battleground. It just shows that at two pay-per-views this year, the first one being WrestleMania, where it was the New Day versus the League of Nations before they broke up and dumped Wade Barrett like third-period Spanish class, 
how they lost to them, and then, you know, obviously Shawn Michaels, Mick Foley, and my personal favorite, Stone Cold Steve Austin, came out, and, you know, they took out the League of Nations, and then Stone Cold Steve Austin delivered a Stone Cold Stunner to Xavier Woods, but I look at it like that. They've won a lot of matches this year for the tag team titles. And they're about, they're about to pass the... They're about to or just did pass uh, Paul London and the Brian Kendrick is the longest reigning in the current era of WWE Tag Team Champions. They were actually talking about it this week that they actually did pass Paul London and Brian Kendrick because they made a big to-do about what how they had passed them at the, at the pay-per-view. And then, again, on Monday Night Raw, they were celebrating their win and everything. And, and by the way, I, I do have a little bit of a problem with that whole thing with saying that they quote-unquote passed the longest-reigning WWE Tag Team Champions ever. But, I mean... You you need to find the power of positivity behind that, Jay. That's the problem. No, no, no. I'm uh, I'm baffled by the New Day losing. I'm baffled by the history lesson that WWE is trying to tell, saying that... These guys are now the longest reigning tag team champions they've ever had, which is not true. They talk all the time about Ric Flair being a 16-time champ- world champion. Woo! 16 times. Woo! 16 times. Woo! 16 times. We're not doing the 16 times yet. Okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> so, they talk all the time, though, about 16-time champion. Woo! And he was not champion exclusively 16 times in WWE. A lot of it was WCW and NWA title reigns. But they act like that counts. Yet, in WWE, formerly WWF, formerly WWWF, there was a awesome team when I grew up called Demolition. Demolition held the tag team titles for four months. Right now, New Day is around one year with the tag team titles. Demolition had them 14 months, and they're acting as if Demolition never existed. Now, why do they act as if Ric Flair's title reigns in these other companies existed, but they don't act as if the tag team title reign of Demolition ever existed at all? It kind of goes back to like how they treat the Dudley Boys, because they talk about how the Dudley Boys are a nine-time tag team champions and not like twenty-three, and not like twenty-three because they've had TNA tag team title reigns, they've had ECW tag team reigns, the IWGP, had the I- IWGP, and that's kind of like how I look at it. The way that they're kind of just eliminating demolition from their history kind of that's messed kinda, up that's kind of disheartening because i did grow up in the same era as you back when i started watching wrestling the tag team division was a hell of a lot better than it is now i give them credit the tag team it's division better than it got, is a couple of years ago it's a hundred times better than it was two three four years ago but back when i was growing up in wrestling you had the rockers you had demolition you had the Legion of Doom. You twin Towers. Like the, the Twin the Towers. The Mega Powers. The Mega Powers. You what? had uh, the Natural Disasters. You had Money Incorporation. Uh, Legion of Doom. I mean, there there were so many different 
tag teams that they had out there back the fabulous then. Rougeaus. Right. They, They're uh, all American Strike boys. Force. Strike Force. I love Strike Force. Even that- Can-Am Connection was like the precursor to Strike Force, which was a couple of different dudes, but... Speaking of dudes, let's bring up a tag team from the WCW days. The awesome dudes. Or the dynamic dudes. That's what I meant. I apologize for that. I, Just I bl- keep going. I, I, I blame Billy D for that one. No, 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 no. Dynamic dudes with people power, John Laurinaitis, and Shane Douglas, the, the franchise of ECW. But, again, I come back to, you know, they give Ric Flair all these accolades of being a 16-time champion, but they don't even keep the history of their company with Demolition being 14-month-long tag team champions as part of, you know, the story that they've got going on. I don't know if this plays into the whole fact that the, the two guys from Demolition are part of this legal issue that WWE's dealing with with concussions. I don't know if it's just... I think their WWE is being petty and spiteful right now by not acknowledging demolition, which they should be right now in the Hall of Fame, and they're not. I'd like to add on to what you brought up with the uh, the tag team title reigns, how you talk about Ric Flair being a 16-time World Heavyweight Champion, and they're not acknowledging demolition as the longest-reigning tag team champions in WWE slash WWF history. Because even they bring up the fact that the longest reigning champion for World Heavyweight Champion in WWEF, WWF, whatever you want to... WWWF. Is Bruno San Martino. Eight, eight, eight plus years, I think. And they, and they talked about Bruno San Martino having the longest reign in WWE slash WWF slash WWWWWWF or whatever the hell you want to call right. it, history. And it's just... It, I really do think that the lawsuit might have something to do with it. But, but the consistency of it, it's like, don't be petty. It's like going, you know what? These guys, Demolition, outside of their awesome entrance music and outside of their awesome ending move, they were like... Those guys came out of nowhere with a gimmick that was supposed to be making fun of the Legion of Doom or being like a knockoff of Legion of Doom, and they were supposed to not get over. And somehow, some way, they got over, and people were like, these guys are kind of badasses. I like this. Here comes the axe, and here comes the smasher, the demolition, fucking fucking disaster. disaster. So... I just don't like that they are trying to erase those two guys and what they did out of the history books. So, now that we've gone off on that tangent, let's uh, get back to the Battleground card, which, you know, we had a a Natty Neidhart and Becky Lynch match, which unfortunately came after the Zane Owens match. The crowd was spent after that match, after... You see the match of the year, or a potential match of the year, and you follow that up with a good match. Not great. Good match. For them, it sucks because the crowd just wasn't into it. 
I'm going to say this. I I like both of them. Natty Neidhart has been there for a very long time. Everybody knows her backstory about how she's the daughter of the Anvil. She's the niece of Brett and Owen and the British Bulldog. I I have to say that that match just benef- just really lucked out with where it was in the card because, like you said, it was right after the Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens match. And believe me, even if Hulk Hogan fought Andre the Giant at WrestleMania three after that match, the fans would have been spent from that, too. I like both of them as in-ring competitors. I like Natty Neidhart because obviously so does the WWE because she's been there a long time. And even though she is who she is just from what family tree she's She earned her way from, in there, though. She's definitely earned her way because if you look at it, I mean, even the million-dollar man's kid is gone. He didn't make it. He didn't make it. But, you know... To me, that match and what happened on SmackDown Live is just... I'm hoping it's part of a lesser problem than it has been lately, but the even booking. How is somebody supposed to get over? A new face like Becky Lynch supposed to get over if she loses on the pay-per-view and then wins you know, the rematch a few days later? How do you get over like that? I will say this about Becky Lynch winning at the paper. I'm sorry, at SmackDown over the pay-per-view. They wanted to do something special for the first live SmackDown of the new era. So I can understand them having Becky Lynch win. And they have a bigger audience on SmackDown Live than they do have on on the pay-per-views. But even so... If you want to put her over and put her over strong and make her feel like a big deal, she should win, you know, decisively. Oh, I agree. So, I I was a little disappointed in that match. I'm not going to lie. I did spend probably about 85% of that match outside having a cigarette because I, unfortunately, to this day, still treat the women's matches and every match that Roman Reigns in as my smoke or bathroom break match. So I I wish I had gotten to see a little bit more of it. I did see a little bit of the match, so I really can't chime in as much. But I understand. I I do agree with that. I think they should have used Battleground as the the stepping up point. That should have been the launching point for For, Becky Becky Lynch. Lynch. And And I love Becky Lynch. And with, with Natalia, she is, you know, the... Not to say that she's old, but she is the elder statesman of the women's division at this point. More like the seasoned veteran. Okay, we'll go with seasoned veteran. She is the seasoned veteran of the division, and, you know, it's always been said, I mean, you look at a guy like Chris Jericho, you are supposed to be the person that puts over the younger talent, and, again, you've got this big pay-per-view, and it's big specifically because this is the kickoff of the new era. Kick off the new era, and you lose. So, you end up having poor Becky Lynch, who's been working her tail off, and losing to Natalia on the pay-per-view, but then winning a couple days later. It doesn't put her over as something special. I agree. And uh, to go back onto the uh, the Battleground pay-per-view that we've been talking about, what were your thoughts on the main event? 
with Seth Rollins going up against Roman Reigns, against Dean Ambrose in the triple threat for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, considering that Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, the two challengers in the match, are both on Monday Night Raw, and Dean Ambrose, the first pick of Tuesday's SmackDown Live, defending the championship. What was your thoughts on that match? Well, I mean, the match was awesome. I mean, it wasn't to the level of the like Zane Owens match, but it was an awesome match. They told a cool story. I like the fact that they actually had Dean and uh, Seth working together as if they were, you know, old friends. You know, when they put uh, Roman through the table, you know, just like when they used to do the triple power bomb on people. Instead, you got the double power bomb, and they, you know, put Roman out of the match. And based on the problems Roman has had lately, the fact that Roman was the one who took the fall didn't surprise me. I was minorly surprised by the fact that Dean Ambrose won. I guess if I'm thinking of it like it's an analysis, I understand why Dean won. You, you know what? I'm glad he won. It makes SmackDown Live seem like a bigger deal now. It doesn't seem like it is playing second fiddle to Monday Night Raw. And I hope they keep with that theme. Personally, I was not surprised that Dean Ambrose won that match at Battleground between him and Reigns and Rollins. Because one of the things that really bothers me the most as a wrestling fan is when the title changes hands multiple times in such a short period of time. When Roman Reigns won the title and then Sheamus cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase on him, I was ecstatic. I love Sheamus. And then the fact that Sheamus dropped the title, like, what, two months later? That's just, it's kind of stupid. It kind of just, like, depreciates the value of the WWE World Heavyweight title when it's like, all right, well, we're going to give the title to Roman Reigns. All right, well, let's take it off of him and put it on somebody else. All right, well, let's put it back on him. And it's just like this flip-flopping of, like, who's going to be the World Heavyweight Champion. It's kind of stupid because, like I said, it depreciates the value of the World Heavyweight title. I I think that somebody should hold the title for a little bit more than, like, a month or two because it's just like, you know, not everybody should win it, like, every month. I love Seth Rollins. I really do. He's one of those guys that has really grown on me over the years. I did not like him when he was in The Shield, probably because of the fact that he had two different color hairs in his head, and it's like, dude, you're not a He chick. looked like Pepe, Pepe Le Pew. He looked like Pepe Le Pew, not as bad as Matt Hardy looks like Pepe Le Pew now, but I, I, I've always been a fan of Dean Ambrose, the whole thing with him and how Mick Foley got him in trouble at NXT and got him sent home. I think that Dean Ambrose is a lot more entertaining than the three of them because you just don't know what Dean Ambrose is capable of doing. And he looks like he rolled out of a dumpster whenever he comes to the ring. And there's not very many times in my later years of being a professional wrestling fan that I was actually happy to see somebody win the World Heavyweight title. Dean Ambrose was one of those guys that when he won the title, I was very happy for him. The last time I was this happy for somebody to win the title was when The Miz 
cashed in on Randy Orton and won the WWE Championship. See, I've got like two other instances where I was like happy as happy as hell that it happened. When Daniel Bryan won at WrestleMania 30, and when Dolph Ziggler cashed in the day after WrestleMania against Alberto Del Rio. But you already knew that. Right. Those two instances were like two of my favorite like I'm, moments as far as like winning a title and like the pop Ziggler got, the pop that Daniel Bryan got after they won the title. Oh my I can only imagine what those guys felt. I'm not gonna discount Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania thirty because that was just that was great. Personally, it was more of on the side of well, this is just WWE being predictable. Everybody knew that Daniel Bryan was going to beat Triple H, and when he beat Triple H, it was like, all right, he's going to win the WWE title. But it was the story, for me, the story that they told about him overcoming all the odds. Oh, the story was fantastic, and believe me, I was very happy that Daniel Bryan won the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania 30. Dolph Ziggler, that reaction he got after WrestleMania 29... And I think it was it, it, 29 or 28, wh- wh- whenever it was. I think it was after uh, Del Rio beat Jack Swagger minus the Soaring Eagle right? with uh, Zeb Coulter. I just, is I like Dolph Ziggler. I think he's a very talented individual, and I've never seen anybody in the 28 years that I've been watching professional wrestling sell a move better than Dolph Ziggler. But with Mike the Miz, I'm going to mark out very bad on this one. Mike the Miz is just one of those guys that this was a dream come true for him. You knew he wanted to be a professional wrestler when he was on the real world. He got signed to the WWE. He did the the Diva Search Challenge and everything. And then he became United States Champion. And when he won the United States Champion, you could see the tears in his eyes as he won that first major title that he could win in the WWE. And when he won Money in the Bank, and he pulled the briefcase down, and he's standing on top of the ladder, and you could see the tears in his eyes. To me, that means more to me than anything else, because it's like, you know, a lot of guys, it's just like, yeah, this is just a job and everything. This is a a life-changing moment for The Miz. And, And similar to the Bailey moment on Raw, on Monday night. Yes. And for me, when The Miz won the WWE title, when he beat Randy Orton, and you could see the tears in his eyes of how great it was, and I've seen the videos of him backstage, and he's getting congratulated by everybody, that really tugged at the heart for me. I'm a huge Miz fan. I've been a huge Miz fan for a long time. Halloween 2010, I actually dressed up like The Miz with the briefcase and the microphone, and it was probably the best Halloween costume I've ever had. Because you're a fucking mark. Because I'm a fucking mark. And to me, Dean Ambrose winning is kind of on that level. Like, I was really happy when Dean Ambrose won the title. I'm a huge fan of Dean Ambrose. He's definitely fits the gimmick of being the lunatic fringe. And I think with him being the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, that... SmackDown, with him leading the charge, is in really good shape. I think he's the perfect person for for Tuesday Night Live SmackDown. 
I think him being the champion is good for the business. It's what's best for business, as they like to say. I really do hope that this reign for Dean Ambrose lasts a very long time. Well, and with all that said, uh, I think Ambrose, uh, he's worked hard. He deserves, deserves a shot and not, you know, one of those, like, transition champions. He feels a bit more legitimate now that he won that triple threat match now that you know he's had a couple of titles title defenses and I'm I'm really interested to see what happens when he and Ziggler now face at SummerSlam which uh, a nice segue right uh, when the two of them end up hooking up it, the match is going to I think, I hope, we'll steal the show in Brooklyn this year. I see what you did there. Right? <laughs> I I think that Dolph Ziggler was just a very surprising choice for them to put against Dean Ambrose for the WWE World Heavyweight title at SummerSlam. Personally, I would have went with somebody like AJ Styles or Bray Wyatt. I'm a huge fan of Bray Wyatt. I've never seen anybody make an impact on the fans, and there's nobody more over in the WWE right now than Bray Wyatt, other than maybe Daniel Bryan, and he's not even a active yeah, superstar he's not the active roster. performer, yeah. But the fact that he still comes out as general manager of Tuesday Night SmackDown and gets the reaction like he did when he was a wrestler, it means a lot to me too. But I would have, I definitely would have booked Bray Wyatt against Dean Ambrose because they had. A, a program a, f- a few months ago where it was Ambrose versus White, and they, it was very good. Well, I think the thing with uh, Ziggler, I mean, playing into the story that they built up with WWE draft, he was Ziggler was very much about like, hey, give me a shot. Let me prove to you that I can be something. There were so many times with Ziggler that he has been on the cusp of, you know, being over and being this and that and the other thing and just never quite got it. I, Not that I want Ambrose to have a short title reign, but I almost hope that Dolph Ziggler wins just because the dude has worked his tail off. I mean, I remember back probably like five years ago, he was working two matches every pay-per-view, and it's obvious that WWE had a lot of hope and faith in him because they knew he could deliver. He could have a great match. The crowd would be into everything that was going on. And for whatever reason, the crowd... I mean, when he won, when he cashed in money in the bank that time crowd was super into it. I don't know why WWE has not catapulted him into the upper echelon. I hope maybe this is his time to finally shine, but we'll see. We we have several weeks before SummerSlam happens. I am I really don't know who's going to win and it's going to be a lot of fun. 
I think with that match, that ultimately Dean Ambrose is going to take it. Do I think it's going to be one of the better matches on the show? Absolutely. Dolph Ziggler is a very good in-ring performer, and I like Dean Ambrose, and he's a very good in-ring performer. It's going to be a fantastic World Heavyweight Championship match. To me, the match that I'm looking forward to seeing that they've officially made for matches at SummerSlam is the brand new WWE Universal Champion, which pitted Seth Rollins, who was the number one overall pick in the draft. So he basically got like the New England Patriot type of first round bye into the playoffs to get to the championship against Finn Balor, of all people, who won two incredible matches on Monday Night Raw this past week to earn the right to fight Seth Rollins at SummerSlam to determine the new Universal Champion. Well, this legitimizes Balor. Balor was picked really high in the draft. Uh, a guy to the casual fan, they have no idea who he is. But if you're a Mark, you, Which we are. you know who Finn Balor is. And you know that in the ring, he is one of the top in the world, and he will put on an awesome match, and he and Seth Rollins will... I I don't know who's going to main event SummerSlam, but following that match will be tough. Following a match with Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose is going to be tough. Following... Uh, Randy Orton and Brock Lesnar is going to be tough. So I don't know how they're going to structure SummerSlam, but I think we're in store for a really good pay-per-view, and I think the I'm almost 100% sure that we're going to see Seth Rollins win. I would not mind seeing the match go the other way and Finn Balor win just again to really launch this guy who is brand new to the audience and you know they made him feel like a big deal by drafting him so high on the draft you really would put him high up in the echelon by having him win the WWE title so so early he yeah he has not uh he hasn't earned his dues with the WWE audience, but he's he's earned his accolades around the world, which to me, I think, you know, I think there's a little bit of a shot. I, I would put it 10% shot of Finn Balor winning. Uh, it's more likely that Seth Rollins will win, and there's going to be some chicanery that Seth, uh, Stephanie McMahon brings into it, but we'll see. Now, isn't um, Finn Balor the longest-reigning NXT champion since they've brought NXT into existence? I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Finn Balor is the longest-reigning NXT champion since they've made NXT its own entity down in Florida. Uh, I think he If he isn't the longest-reigning champion, he's close to it, but... You know, lately the thing with NXT is they've started referring to Finn Balor as the icon. 
I mean, he is one of the main players of NXT. He's one of the guys who, you know, put them on the map. They were on the map before, but he really elevated them as far as the size of the map that they were on and really brought something different to that brand. Again, I think he would... Him winning the title at SummerSlam would be a really interesting choice, and I think it would be something different, which, again, this is the uh, a new era, era of WWE. I think it would be interesting to see him win. i also like to add that Finn Balor, when he comes out as the Demon, is one of the three greatest entrances in WWE history, at least from my perspective. Behind Undertaker and Bray Wyatt? That's the top three, in my opinion. Undertaker, I mean, come on, really? I don't even have to go into detail about the Undertaker's entrance. Like, even to this point in my life, that I've been following wrestling as long as I have, I still get goosebumps when I hear that that dong sound before he comes out. And I'm not even talking about, like, when he was the American Badass. Undertaker is the American Badass back in the early 2000s. It's kind of like Michael Jordan playing for the Washington Wizards. It never happened. It, it was fine, but... No, it was terrible. No, it was fine. It no, was it, fine. Was, it, it was, was definitely... Fine. No, it, it was, was terrible. Fine. It was terrible. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I You're right? wrong. You're wrong. No, I'm right. But as far as entrances go, the an, another another person I will bring up, not that like the theatrics are as good, Hulk Hogan in the 80s, when he came out and he had Real American playing, my God, those crowds were... Out of their I'm minds. A real American. One of the greatest interest songs the ever. Rights he, American. No, he fights for the rights of every man. Every man. When it comes crushing down and it hurts inside. So the greatest song in the history of mankind, by the way. So we we have those different players now on the different rosters and as far as where WWE goes from here, now that they've split, split the brands, and now that they've got specific guys on Raw, specific guys on SmackDown, and it actually seems like this time they're going to take this seriously, you know, let's get into a little bit of Raw and, you know, some of the differences that we saw with it. You know, there's a different graphic look. You know, they have a specific... Like, you know, they started doing after-match uh, interviews with the performers who won or who lost. And they also, uh, the announcers are now lo- no longer on Raw next to the ring. They're actually a little bit away from the ring. Little details like that makes WWE not feel as stale and formulaic as they have been for years. See, for me, with the interviews after the match, depending on whether the guy wins or loses, kind of loses some of its luster if Mean Gene Okerlund is not doing those interviews. Nothing against Renee Young. He's long retired. But Mean Gene Okerlund was the the epitome of what a guy doing an interview before, during, or after matches was all about. But the audience now... I mean, they don't know who the hell Mean Gene Okerlund is. This is something completely new to them. This is completely fresh to you and I. Mean Gene Okerlund is the be-all, end-all, but 
right now these are these are things they have never seen in their life so they're probably looking at it with these eyes like what the heck is this they're right. used to what WWE has been feeding us for the last 10 or 15 years speaking of feeding us and we're talking about Monday Night Raw I would like to bring up my mark out moment of the week since you brought out yours during the Battleground pay-per-view, I would like to bring out that my mark-out moment of the week was Braun Strowman making his appearance as a singles competitor away from the Wyatt family against a poor sap in James Ellsworth. Now, Braun Strowman broke away from the Wyatt family, and now he's just destroying the quote-unquote littlest guy in the room, bada-bing, bada-boom. And he's just he's just destroying local competitors, like how Earthquake used to destroy guys like Barry Horowitz and the Brooklyn or Brawler. Psycho Sid back in the day, destroying Joey Maggs. And guys like Tony DeVito would get destroyed. and The Damian, Italian Stallion. And Damien Demento. In fact, I actually have an excerpt from James Ellsworth's match against Braun Strowman from this past Monday. Yeah, his fighting chance ended up being his head planted into the mat firmly by the Braun Strowman. James Ellsworth has a better chance of getting eaten by a shark and struck by lightning while winning Powerball in the same day. And Long the, odds. And by the way, in case anybody was wondering, I have now officially watched the Braun Strowman versus James Ellsworth match a whopping 1,608 times since this past Monday, which is a lot because the previous record for the most times I watched a record was when Ryback was destroying people at the exact same time when he first got brought up to the WWE. And his record, I watched his matches 1,287 times. That's a lot. That's almost as many holds as Jericho has. You mean his 1,004 holds? That's more than Dean Malenko? Four more holds than Dean Malenko. Armbar! But the thing with this Braun Strowman match, it really is a throwback. Yeah, they had Ryback a few years back, who was in these squash matches. But for the most part, you haven't seen the squash match and seeing this is a legit guy, legit way to raise a guy's profile in probably like 20, 25 years. Now you get to see a big guy just beat the crap out of a little guy. I can't wait till Monday so I and we see the next, you know, Local little little guy get Shit. fed to Braun. My favorite part about that whole thing was the fact that he did an interview with Byron Saxon as Braun Strowman was coming to the ring. 
and he said that any guy with two hands has a fighting chance. I have two hands. I'm telling you right now, if I got in the ring with Braun Strowman, I'm getting my ass kicked in about 12 seconds. <laughs> I would last longer in the ring with Braun Strowman. I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm going to last less time in the ring with Braun Strowman than Special Delivery Jones lasted at WrestleMania 1 against King Kong Bundy. 5 count or 3 count? I would, even with a 5 count, I would still last less. Even with a 3 count, I would last less. Now, with with Raw outside of that outstanding squash match which was entertaining as all heck. I, I enjoy watching people get their freaking brains crushed in. Uh, but, you know, they had the, the two fatal four ways to determine who is going to face each other in the main event and decide who is going to to go against Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. Uh, I thought both of those matches really delivered a lot of fun action uh, and just... Interesting who they had win. Uh, with Roman Reigns, it was him winning, not completely surprising, but after what he's gone through in the last month, month and a half, semi-surprised that he won. And with Finn Balor, really surprised that he won, but understand why they're doing it. I agree with that. I really was surprised that Roman Reigns did win his Fatal 4-Way. And this past Monday, uh, Finn Balor was kind of a surprise to me. I'm really happy that they did it that way. I really am a big fan of, of Finn Balor. Well, it feels different because they had him win. It wasn't like the big, muscled-up, quote-unquote, righted guy. Oh, wait, yeah. Maybe if uh, Roman Reigns put a little bit more water in his hair and his hair was a little bit wetter, he probably would have won that match. But Finn Balor is a very talented individual I think that his the roof or the ceiling for him to be productive in the WWE is higher than a lot of people's that have been called up from NXT over the years despite his size I mean he's not a big guy but in the ring I mean almost unparalleled the fact that he had a really good program with Samoa Joe down at NXT and he fat he fought Nakamura before he got called up. Excellent match as well. Finn Balor is one of those guys that he's going to give his all. He's going to give 110% when he gets out there. I think that with the matchup, yeah, we could have seen Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins, but who really wants to see that match again? Well, I, I think the match would have been good, but... You bring up it's, the point of, like, we've seen it before. We don't need to see it again, at least for a little while. It's something fresh. It's something new. It's like Seth Rollins versus Finn Balor. I think that match is going to be excellent. That match definitely has the capability of stealing the show at SummerSlam this year. Well, and, you know, this is called the new era now. And if the new era would have been Roman Reigns against Seth Rollins, it really would have been... It's a, it, it, I, I wouldn't say it's a snorer. Like, they would have had a, a fine match, I'm sure. But it doesn't scream new to me. It screams stuff that's been happening for a couple of years now. Well, I agree with that. Um, 
It's going to be interesting to see what they do with Roman Reigns, if he even has a match at SummerSlam. Oh, he'll I'm have sure, a match I'm at sure SummerSlam. he's going to get some stupid match at SummerSlam where it's going to be like Roman Reigns versus like Jack Swagger or something like that. Or, or maybe the guy that went against Braun Strowman. Or the guy against Braun Strowman. Just give him like 20 you know, Superman punches. I would punches. give James Ellsworth a contract after his performance against Braun Strowman. And... I think that by the time Monday Night Raw does happen this week, tomorrow, I'm going to be over 2,000 views on that James Ellsworth versus Braun Strowman match. Just because it was There's just something fantastic. about a, a guy getting his ass kicked. He he looked like a deer in headlights when Braun Strowman actually got in the ring and they rang the bell. Well, uh, and this is more of like a peripheral thing, but... The look of Raw and the look of SmackDown are very different than they were. You know, they consider Raw the red brand, SmackDown's the blue brand. But, you know, their graphic look, uh, their new opening music. Like, the graphic look to me is very basic looking, and that's not a bad thing. It's different than what it was. So, again... New look to the show, new feel to the show with everything they've got going on. And they push a guy like Finn Balor, who just started, you know, to the main event. So I think they did an awesome job, again, of making it feel different, making it feel like a a new thing has sprung. I, I agree with that. The whole Dolph Ziggler versus... Dean Ambrose is something different because we haven't really seen Dolph Ziggler versus Dean Ambrose at any point. Obviously, a lot of people that, thought... There's probably been a couple of matches. There's, here there's there. been, obviously, with them being part of the Shield and how they just took out everybody. And I, when I say everybody, they take out everybody. Hell, they took out The Undertaker. And I think it's going to be interesting. But with the whole new... This is the new era of the WWE. I think... I love the fact that Finn Balor is going to be in the Universal title match. It's something different, something that people haven't seen. I think Seth Rollins, even though he's coming back from a injury that he just returned from a couple months ago, will be different because nobody knows what to expect from Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins. Well, seeing the demon entrance at... SummerSlam oh, is going to be, be ridiculous. awesome. The crowd is going to completely eat it up, and, and I can't wait for that. Now, as far as like the two different shows, I like how they made them feel a little different from each other. You know, for a long time, the SmackDown set and the Raw set—you could tell it was like the same projection, same this, same that, same the other thing. The only thing was the color of SmackDown was blue, the color of Raw was red. Well, now we've got SmackDown, which, you know, has their own distinct look. You know, they're doing the aftermatch interviews, but, you know, they've got their own announced team. That announced team is actually next to the ring versus having Raw, where Raw has their announced team, you know, set back a little bit away from the action. So, again, a differentiation there. Uh, one of the things I actually liked when they did SmackDown Live, Shane McMahon specifically said, this is the show for you. 
This is not the show for the WWE. This is the show for the fans, for the audience. I love that. I agree with you on that. I think that Shane McMahon being in charge of SmackDown, especially because they want to just promote SmackDown and have SmackDown be on the same level as Monday Night Raw, Shane McMahon being in charge of SmackDown is the best thing that they could do. And the fact that they brought in Daniel Bryan to be their general manager is another smart decision that they did. Because Daniel Bryan's over. He is so over with the fans. The fans love him. The fans are going to eat up what he does. They only have a two-hour show. The broadcast team is a very good combination of guys. I think uh, Otunga needs a little bit of time to figure out the chemistry with the three of them. Because like, Otunga, for me, it, it felt like he was nervous in trying to, like, Hey, everybody, this is my first day of school. Look at how awesome this is. It didn't, like, right. Uh, he, he just seemed nervous. I hope he's going to find his path. Like, I thought Corey Graves... And I thought Byron Saxton with Michael Cole was a better team overall. I thought Mauro Ronaldo with JBL was fine. It was Otunga who is the one that stuck out like a sore thumb. Who I, I'm hoping that a little bit more seasoning he'll really like fill into the role. But he's not there yet. Just remember, Jay, Rome was not built in a day. Or Thanks. Roman Reigns. Yeah. And you got to give David Otunga some time. This is an entirely different thing for him. Obviously, he was part of the Nexus that debuted quite a few years ago with Wayne Well, Barrett and I mean, he's guys. been doing pre-shows a lot, and he'll do post-shows. He's been doing some commentary on, like, main event. But, right. I mean, these are now the A shows. They're trying to treat Raw and SmackDown as if they're on the same level. And right now, announcer-wise, I... I don't love Michael Cole, but I think Raw overall with Corey Graves, Michael Cole, and Byron Saxton is up a little bit higher overall chemistry-wise versus SmackDown. I think it has to do with the fact that Mauro Ronaldo was in NXT for such a long time. Well, and Mauro wasn't in NXT. He he was just brought to SmackDown. Corey Graves was in oh, I NXT. I apologize for that. But Mauro Ronaldo and JBL and David Otunga are guys that are going to have to definitely build some chemistry with each other. JBL was on SmackDown, or I'm sorry, was well, on Raw. Well, he, he did SmackDown, too, for a while. Oh, he did SmackDown for a while, too. But he was on Raw with Michael Cole and Byron Saxton when they got rid of JR, uh, Jared King Lawler. I think that they need to build the chemistry a little bit more so than the Monday Night Raw team because of the fact that Byron Saxton does have some chemistry with Michael Cole. So bringing in somebody like Corey Graves, who might feel a little bit more comfortable, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get used to it. But he did very well off the bat being on Monday Night Raw, part of the broadcast team. Oh, he was hilarious, specifically in the Braun Strowman match. Oh, of course. And I think that with the guys on SmackDown, between Ronaldo and JBL and David Otunga, it's going to take them some time to get comfortable with each other, to build some rapport with each other, and to figure out how each one works as a broadcast team. I g give them time. I think it's a smart move. I love the fact that JBL is on SmackDown because he is a seasoned veteran. Mauro Ronaldo has been knocking it out of the park since day one. 
I think he's going to be fine. Give David Otungo some time. We'll see how it goes from there. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I'm hoping they'll get there. Though the again, they were okay uh, on SmackDown. Uh, Otunga was the only one that I thought was kind of like dragging it down. Uh, and personally, for me, after all these years of seeing David Otunga between pre-shows and his uh, characters on TV. I'm disappointed that he did not have his coffee thermos. I, I, I mean, that's his character. It, he's supposed to have his uh, stupid like sweater vests, and he's supposed to have his coffee thermos. It was both of those were missing from SmackDown. I guess it's a new era, new character. But damn it, the thermos should be there. I agree with you on that. Thermos. It's definitely part of his gimmick. Another thing about SmackDown that I'd like to bring up was how they had Becky Lynch fight Natalia, And then after the match when Becky Lynch beat Natalia, where you were upset how Natalia won at the pay-per-view, and then they had Becky Lynch win two nights later. She should have won both. Was how they had all the different divas that they have on SmackDown come out. They had Alexa Bliss come out. She cut a little bit of a promo. Fantastic. I love the fact that she's on the active roster as opposed to NXT. Then they had uh, the Uso uh, wife. Naomi. 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 I'm sorry. Naomi came out. She cut a little bit of a promo. Got zero reaction, by the way. We're not going to get the into that. The crowd went mild. And then they had my girl Carmella come out, and she cut a little bit of a promo. Got a little bit of a reaction. But I like to bring up the fact that Eva Marie came out and... Yeah. Basically, they had a computer-generated voice. Trolling the audience. Trolling the audience. And it just, it was terrible. Well, I think it was terrible on purpose, but most of my problem with this whole thing that they did is it meant nothing. Like, the segment just freaking ended. They didn't talk about, like, you know what, I'm going to be fighting for the number one contendership because really one of the things they haven't really answered Despite the fact that the DV's title is on Raw... Women's Championship. Sorry. Women's Championship is on Raw. Is that champion going to float between the different shows? Are we going to see a Women's Championship match at SummerSlam where it's a cross-branded thing? So you got the top woman from SmackDown going against the top woman from Raw, which is now Sasha Banks... I also like to bring up the fact that they already have announced who the main or the women's championship is going to be at SummerSlam because it's going to be the rematch from Raw, which we'll get into in a moment. But I thought that what they did with the all the women in the Divas division or whatever you want to call it now on SmackDown all coming out, the fact that they just had this computer generated voice talk up Eva Marie and then she didn't even have a microphone, which is probably a good thing. And it's just kind of like you said, it just ended. Like, after she came out and everything, I thought it was kind of stupid. It's good to introduce these characters to the new audience, because a lot of these people are newer. Some people don't know about Alexa Bliss. They don't know about Ava Marie. They don't know Carmella. So it's good to introduce them, but when you put them in a segment that has no purpose... 
what the hell are you doing? You're, it's almost like the old school way of treating how they treated the quote-unquote divas, where they would put them in this nonsensical thing, and it's like, going, well, we put you on the show, go get them. It's like, no, you put them on the show to have a purpose. This didn't seem to have a purpose. I mean, again, they introduced people, but it, didn't go anything beyond that. It was, you know, about as deep as a two-inch pond. Oh, I agree with you on that. And uh, speaking of the women's division, I want to bring up the uh, women's title match that happened on Raw. First of all, it was the best match of the night. Nothing against any of the Fatal Four Ways or Seth... Or, or the main event, or the main which event was, was Roman, Roman against Reigns, Finn Seth, Balor. Finn Balor. But... Damn, Sasha Banks versus Charlotte for the World Heavyweight Women's Championship was just fantastic. Like I said, I've been a wrestling fan for 28 years. I've watched a lot of women's matches. Granted, I've missed quite a few of them because it's, like I said, the cigarette break of of Monday Night Raw or the pay-per-view. It used to be. Not anymore. These matches have been impressive probably for the last six months. But Charlotte versus Sasha Banks was a very, very good match. I was extremely entertained by the match. I think that the women's division is better than it's been since maybe the days of Lita. And I would say that right now it's probably deeper than it was even when it was Lita with Trish Stratus. And you had like Molly Holly and... You had Luna Vachon, and you had Jackie. You had had all of those different uh, women performers, but I think now, as far as, like, their athleticism, I think their athleticism is probably higher than it was back then, and I think, you know, the sky's the limit. I think in the next few years, we will see a women's match main event a pay-per-view because if they build those characters up properly, it's going to mean just as much as it will would be for a men's match. I would love to see the women actually main event a pay-per-view because it would just mean that the women are on the same level as the men out there when it comes to like title matches. And they've done that in NXT. Last year they had the uh, Iron Woman match between... Bailey and Sasha Banks that main evented an NXT right. takeover special, and I didn't hear anybody complaining about that because those two women went in there and they freaking tore the roof off the place. There is no reason why you can't see that on the main roster unless uh, Vince McMahon uh, acts like a misogynist because right. those women will... I think in the next few years, deserve to be the headline slot of a pay-per-view. And the match that they had between Charlotte and Sasha Banks at Monday Night Raw kind of just put them on the map. And it's like, all right, they really did put it all out on the line. They fought very hard for the women's title. I think that that match really just put them in a in a spot where they could main event certain pay-per-views. Obviously... The women's title is not going to main event WrestleMania. Nothing against the women's division, but it's come on, it's it's freaking WrestleMania. Well, I I think 
we'll probably see them main eventing a few more Raws before we're going to see them main event a pay-per-view or main event a few more SmackDown Lives right. before they main event a pay-per-view. You know, they want to see that and make sure that the women can draw as many fans in as the guys do, which I, I think at this point... The women's division has some respect, whereas a couple years ago it was a joke. It was the smoke break. It was the bathroom break. It was, it it always had the dead spot on the card. You know, you would go after what would be considered a big match, and you would put it on the women's women's match. So, you know, people could kind of come down from whatever emotions they dealt with, whether it was a match like Brock Lesnar against The Undertaker or... Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker, things like that that happened at WrestleMania, where it was such an emotional pull at the audience that you really just needed to like have something to take you down a notch. I think that over time that the women's division is definitely going to better itself to a point where it's main eventing specific pay-per-views. If Mike the Miz can main event at WrestleMania, anybody can main event at WrestleMania. If Lawrence Taylor, a Hall of Fame football player, can main event at WrestleMania, anybody can main event at WrestleMania. I just don't see it. Just because of the fact that they're going to have the super heavyweights and it's either going to be the world heavyweight title or if The Rock comes back and fights whoever or if John Cena has to fight, you know, whoever... Those guys are going to be more of the main attraction that they're going to want to end the show with. Well, tell me something then. How does Ronda Rousey main event a UFC pay-per-view? She's made to be a big deal. If WWE decides to make the women a big deal, guess what? They're going to be a big deal. I think the part of the issue is... um, I love Vince McMahon. He's done a lot of, I think, good for the wrestling business. But he also has this very old-school mentality in many ways that it's girl wrestling. Despite the fact that they could get as much of an emotional, if not more, of an emotional attachment to the audience, which that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for, you know necessarily the best performer in the ring. They're looking for somebody that the audience can get behind. The women can get as much of a audience as the men do. They just need to treat them seriously. They need to treat them with respect. And I think Vince, again, a little bit old school in thinking, as long as he's alive, I don't think there will be a women's match main eventing WrestleMania. I think there could be a high-profile WrestleMania match, you know, rivaling like the Mickey against Trish match about 10 years ago at WrestleMania. Uh, But until uh, Vince McMahon meets his demise, I don't think we're going to see a main event match on WrestleMania with women. And it's such a shame because this past WrestleMania 32, the triple threat match between Sasha, Becky, and Charlotte was arguably the best match of the night. And I think that that match could have definitely... And the crowd would have been into oh, it. Oh, the, 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 the crowd was definitely into it. I think it had the possibility of main eventing WrestleMania this year. 
But unfortunately, with Triple e, Triple H's ego, it wasn't going to happen. I do think that, like you brought up Ronda Rousey, how she can main event a pay per view. I think that UFC is a little bit different because of the fact that they only bring in like that one marquee name. Obviously, when they have like a UFC 100 or 200 or whatever, they're going to bring in a couple of marquee names. But Ronda Rousey main eventing a UFC pay-per-view is kind of like comparing apples to oranges because they just go out there and it's like, all right, well, it's Ronda Rousey versus, you know, Holly Hunt or whatever other women they have in the women's division for UFC. And it's like, well, we could do this because it's like, we'll have a pretty decent undercard, but we're going to main event with Ronda Rousey. Obviously, if Ronda Rousey is made of, you know, is in the same card as a Conor McGregor or a Brock Lesnar, she's not going to main event. And the same thing goes for the WWE. It's like, yeah, we could have Charlotte main event WrestleMania against Sasha Banks or Becky Lynch or Carmella. But it's like, well, we could have Brock Lesnar fight John Cena or we could have Brock Lesnar fight Dean Ambrose or whatever. It's But it's how they present it. Oh, yeah. I mean... Ronda Rousey, when she's been on pay-per-views where people have not been, there, there won't be like a, a bunch of other names on the card. Ronda Rousey is the name on the card, and they are some of the highest grossing pay-per-views UFC ever has. And, and while I'm thinking of this, because WWE allowed Brock Lesnar to have a match in UFC recently, you know, I think part of the agreement is that Maybe uh, WWE will have the opportunity to use somebody from UFC to use on a pay-per-view. And I think if there is a slight chance of having a main event with a woman in it happening soon, it would be Ronda Rousey at a WrestleMania against like a Stephanie McMahon. And I don't know if it would necessarily... It could main event, but I I think overall it would probably end up being like The Rock with Ronda Rousey against Triple H and Stephanie McMahon in the main event. It wouldn't it would be a mixed tag versus being like the main event of just women, but that would be one way I could foresee women being in the main event of a WrestleMania. Just remember, a few years ago, probably close to like almost ten years ago, they had Floyd Mayweather who arguably is the biggest name in boxing right now, fight the big show in, in my opinion, one of the worst WrestleMania matches, and that wasn't even the main event of WrestleMania. So to say that It's Ronda, an attraction. It's an attraction, but it's not like, oh, well, I have to go out of my way to watch Floyd Mayweather, who weighs 150 pounds, go up against a guy who's over 7 feet tall and weighs 450, 500 pounds. It's you like, can't teach that. Right. And to put it... With what you were saying with Ronda Rousey, the only way Ronda Rousey would ever main event at WrestleMania, in my personal opinion, is if, like you said, she teamed up with The Rock to go up against Triple H and Stephanie. Ronda Rousey fighting Charlotte is not going to main event WrestleMania. Not anytime soon, definitely. Uh, but but overall, like the direction that we've seen, like with WWE lately. I like it. I like the fact that tag teams have kind of come up a little bit more forefront. I like that women have come up a little bit more forefront lately. I like the fact that 
some of the guys who have been working their tail off for the company for a long time are finally being given a shot to prove themselves in front of the audience. It's not, it doesn't feel so much right now like we're being force-fed something like we were with Roman Reigns for the last couple of years or, you know, I think Rollins did a pretty good job, but again, he felt a little bit force-fed to us. It feels like now, in this new era, maybe finally, uh, we have broken free of the staleness that WWE has been locked into probably the last ten years. I agree with that. I think that with the new era of the WWE, that the possibility of... Certain people were not used to seeing main eventing. Like wrestler, Curtis Axel. Like Curtis Axel. The guy who, for the last 552 days, is still active in the Royal Rumble of 2015. We're not going to get into that. But, like with Ric Flair saying that Finn Balor is not a guy that could potentially main event of WrestleMania, I think that's bullshit. I think that Finn Balor is talented enough. I mean, honestly, if Rey Mysterio was in a high-profile match in WrestleMania, why can't Finn Balor in this day and age be a, a guy who is in a high-profile match and potentially main event WrestleMania? It's, again, an old-school way of thinking that needs to kind of get out of wrestling. It's whether or not this guy attaches to the audience. If the audience is behind Finn Balor, you put him in the main event spot, just like a few years ago, when Daniel Bryan had the audience completely behind him, you put him in the main event spot because the guy deserves it. The audience wants him. You give the audience what they want. You don't feed us Roman Reigns because you like to. And I agree with that. Just because of the fact that Roman Reigns does look the part, and believe me, he does look the part. He's this six foot six or whatever, however tall he, he he's is. He's a big dude. He he looks good. But really, he just needs to... He's uh, a glorified John Cena if John Cena was Samoan. Well, the thing with Roman is Roman... Uh, Reigns. He needs to... Uh, a couple of years ago, like when they brought Batista back, when the crowd was crapping on Batista, they turned him heel. They need to turn Reigns heel. They need to let him go on the mic. Don't give him a damn script. Tell him to speak his mind and talk about how pissed off he is about how the audience reacts against him and that they're stupid for doing so. They need to let Reigns be a heel. And after he's a heel for a while, then you turn him back babyface and let him be the babyface that they're hoping that he could be right now. Roman Reigns would be better suited to be a heel at this point because of the fact that everybody hates him. All the fans keep booing him. He's getting booed to a level where John Cena is like, damn, Roman Reigns is getting booed. Which says a lot because nobody gets booed more than John Cena. Either way, I like what they're doing with this new era. I like the fact that Finn Balor is getting the opportunity to showcase himself at SummerSlam to fight for the title. Whether he wins or loses, it doesn't even matter. I would love to see him win. It's a fresh match we haven't seen. Right. 
And would I be upset if Seth Rollins won? No, not at all. I think that they're both very talented superstars. I think that the sky is the limit for Finn Balor. I think Seth Rollins has established himself as the guy that could lead towards the future of the WWE, kind of like where Dean Ambrose is right now, kind of like where Kevin Owens is going to be, kind of like with Bray Wyatt. The future of the WWE looks better now than it did a few years ago when it was just like, here's John Cena, who's he going to bury now? You have like five or six guys right now that legitimately could step up and be the next, you know, big superstar, similar to the Attitude Era. It wasn't just Steve Austin. You had Steve Austin. You had The Rock. You had Kurt Angle. You had Kurt Angle. You had Mankind. You had The Undertaker. Kane. You had Kane. You had all these different guys. Booker T. Where you could put them in the main event, and it didn't feel wrong. Where right now... Uh, you know, they're building towards having all these different guys where it's not going to feel like, hey, we're going to force this guy down your throat. You're going to like this guy whether you want him or not. I hope that they keep going in this route because I think they're going to have a bunch of superstars that superstars that will take us, hopefully, into this new era without, again, feeling like, somebody is giving you something you don't want. And I think that with John Cena taking like a lesser schedule to kind of like wean the fans off of him, I think is a good thing because John Cena is not going to be able to wrestle forever. John Cena is not going to be able to be the guy that puts the money in Vince McMahon's pocket. So the fact that they're bringing in guys like the Finn Balors and the Seth Rollinses and the Dean Ambroses that can be a good cornerstone towards the future of what the WWE is and what the WWE could potentially be down the road is good. The fact that right now it's July 31st and we have no idea what the hell John Cena is doing at the pay-per-view for SummerSlam is incredible. Whereas That's good. That's a good thing to me. There's four matches that have already been officially assigned for WrestleMania. I'm sorry, for SummerSlam. And I think that it just shows that the WWE is looking towards the future, whereas it's like, all right, well, great, we have John Cena again, and we're going to see him in his 5,000th match against Randy Orton. The same shit over and over again. And it feels finally like we have kind of gotten over that hump. We're not going to see that crap again. Uh, You know, we're seeing John Cena, AJ Styles, we're seeing... John Cena facing new people, and hopefully we're not seeing John Cena win all the time. Hopefully this is the end of seeing John Cena being the dominant force who, you know, I I don't think he completely has all say as far as who goes over against him, but this might be the final kind of nail in the coffin as far as whether or not John he is Cena the guy. Sucks. John Cena sucks. John Cena sucks. You know what? I have I have re- I have a great respect for John Cena uh, being a performer that uh, he's earned my respect as far as like he works his tail off and he puts on good matches. I wish his wishes uh, punches didn't look like crap. 
Uh, and Good some of the matches. What the hell are you talking about? I've never seen John Cena put up. Okay, let me rephrase that. Yeah, his, you don't know his, what you're his, looking at. His, you don't his, know what you're looking at. He has he, a ton he, of good he matches has, all he has the time. A couple of good matches all in the his time. Career. All the okay. time. Yeah. Uh huh. And I'm like six foot eight, and I can have a jump shot that can. Ever not since be the CM Punk match at Money in the Bank, the guy has put on phenomenal matches. John Cena is on par with Hulk Hogan back in the 80s and 90s. He's the, better than Hulk Hogan was back in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> you, could, you could think your opinion, but the fact of the matter is, is that John Cena still has the five moves of doom. Hulk Hogan had a punch, a body slam, and a leg drop. He forgot the big boot. And then he raked uh, guys back, and he would gouge their eyes. Let me tell you something, brother. Just because of the fact that the best wrestler we've seen out of Hulk Hogan was when he played Thunderlips in, in Rocky Three, doesn't mean you can criticize Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan is the epitome of what professional wrestling is then, now, and whatever will be. So I, I think on that note, I think we have a, we're going to end up putting up a, a Twitter poll about the markout moment of the week. What do you think was a bigger markout moment? The uh, and so Amore talking about uh, not being able to look a person in the uh, a man in the eye while they're eating a banana, or or is it going to be Braun Strowman Gronk spiking James Ellsworth into the mat? So it's up to you to to decide. And uh, I think on that note, I think we're ready to wrap this thing up. And I just wanted to be known. We did bring it up briefly earlier in the podcast, but I just want you all to know. That today, July 31st, 2016, on the 552nd day, Curtis Axel, son of the Hall of Famer, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning, is still alive. 2015. We are the fucking Marks. I'm Bobby the Brainless. And I'm Ja Rule. Until next time, keep fucking marking out.